One correction I do want to make. Mm. I did not actually get my degree from the University of Michigan. I had one semester to go, and I did it on purpose. Really? Yeah. No way. I did it on purpose because I, I, I fully committed to being an entrepreneur the rest of my life, yeah. and I knew that by being an entrepreneur, I would never need a resume. And therefore, I didn't actually need the final degree on it, but I did it purposely to inflict upon myself that weight the rest of my career. Oh, so in a way, you cut resources of retreat. Yep. In a no way. Plan you got That's it. Crazy. I cut resources of retreat. I'm going to actually use that. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the Executalks podcast. It's the show that gives you insight to the personal stories of today's top executives. In this episode, you will hear from John Lauer, current CEO and co-founder of ZipWhip, a company that helps businesses use texting to communicate with their customers. John has successfully raised over $90 million, has over 300 employees, and the company is experiencing outstanding growth. So from a young age, John had an intense fascination with science and a curiosity of learning how electronics worked. When he turned 13 years old, his burning desire to start a business began to emerge and mix with his curiosity of learning how electronics worked. So John was born in Stowe, Ohio and was raised near Detroit, Michigan. However, he didn't grow up in a very typical household. I was one of seven kids. Um, wow, seven, so seven siblings. Oh yeah, siblings. yeah. So when we would go on a bike ride as a family, people thought there was like a bike race. Yeah, there's a race, what's going on? Um, but I had four older sisters. Um, and so then, and then I had two younger brothers. So I was the middle child, so I was ignored, but I was the oldest boy. So I sort of like maybe looked up to, and you know, so kind of an interesting juxtaposition of those different things. Um, but I think when you ha when you grow up in a house with seven kids, your parents can't give you that much attention because there's only so much to go around. Right. So I think you get to actually uh, do a lot of your own exploration and uh, lots of inspiration. My dad uh, had all sorts of like electronics in the house and he would always try and bring in the latest technology uh, that he'd maybe borrow from the office. And I was always the tinkerer and sticking stuff in the electronic outlets and touching the wires together and they'd explode and I'd get in big trouble, but Did that didn't stop me. Oh yeah, oh, my. oh yeah, I, I burned myself once doing that. No but you guys, I learned what electricity was through the process. <laughs> this is the learning experiences in life. <laughs> my dad definitely was like, he was a research scientist uh, in the rubber tire industry. Okay. Uh, and so he had, he had patents and he had all sorts of books. I still remember when he's like, son, you should read this book. And it was about Einstein's theory of relativity. And I was like in the fifth grade. And I'm like, okay, tell me a little bit. And then he started explaining like, you know, if you travel in a rocket ship and you come back 10 years later, everybody on earth is 30 years older and you're only 10 years older. And he's like blowing my mind. And I just remember like, okay, there's this whole fascinating world of science out there. I'm in love. Uh, I just want to learn more and more and more. So I remember when I was 13, all I could think about was getting home from school to play video games or thinking of ways to prank my friends. Well, for John, at 13, he was already trying different ways of making money. Some failed, but some 
worked. Growing up as a you know kid, middle class sort of neighborhood upbringing, but with lots of kids, uh, there was never much money to go around. And so I remember at 13 years old, uh, and it's not like you would get an allowance or anything, none of that existed. But at 13, I'm like, okay, I really want to start making some money. I want to start being able to like buy stuff that I want. Um, and so I started thinking, well, how do, how do you make money as a 13 year old? You can't go get a job anywhere. Heck, you can't even get transportation to get to the job. You don't, you know, and so I actually was like, okay, I'm gonna write a book. What can I write a book and then sell it? At 13. But what can I write a book about that I know? And so I started writing a book about how 13 year olds can make money. Oh, wow. And I had all these like ideas and um, things in it. I probably got a few chapters in and just sort of was like, okay, this is never gonna work. Who would ever publish this book? And then as the years went by, you know, I think I was, um, yeah, I was 15 and I, so I started a DJ business, but that was still hard for the transportation. By the time I turned 16, I finally could start doing stuff. So I started DJing, uh, put all my own equipment together by buying like this old amplifier from like a flea market yeah. that was cheap, but I knew it was an amazing amplifier. I mean, it was like a thousand dollar amplifier they were selling for like $20. I'm like, what are these people doing? This thing's incredible and then building speakers from scratch. Uh, although my brother actually was the one that built those and you know, so, and, and started making good money DJing and having a lot of fun too. So I remember, now, now you're like, okay, I did it like the technical side, um, but now I was like, okay, I gotta do the marketing and sales side. So I remember going to the school district and saying, hey, do you guys ever need a DJ for school events? And they gave me like this whole year long contract to DJ dances like every other Friday at the school farm for the middle schoolers. Yeah. So I got like my first major contract just by knocking on the door and asking. And I will say, I was pretty scared to do it. That's good, intimidating. I was actually scared to go to this, like the headquarters of the school district and just ask them this random question. They were even like, why did you want to meet with us again? Like it, it was really awkward to like do the whole thing. I still even remember my friend like, what are you doing tonight? You're going over to the headquarters of the school district to pitch DJing, what are, what are you smoking crack? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm gonna go for it. Okay, so John obviously seemed to be incredibly ambitious from a young age. Now this ambition would only continue to grow and would carry on throughout his college career. At 21 years old, he was named the Michigan Young Entrepreneur of the Year by the governor. And at the time, he was studying computer science at the University of Michigan and had started a company to help build websites for businesses. He was able to win Ford and General Motors as his first customers to help build their websites. And from there, he would only continue to gain more and more clients. There is just one correction about his college degree that John really wants everyone to know. One correction I do want to make. I did not actually get my degree from the University of Michigan. I had one semester to go, and I did it on purpose. Really? Yeah. No way. I did it on purpose because I, I, I fully committed to being an entrepreneur the rest of my life, yeah. and I knew that by being an entrepreneur, I would never need a resume, and therefore I didn't actually need the final degree on it, but I did it purposely to inflict upon myself that weight the rest of my career. Oh, so in a way you cut resources of retreat. Yep. No you got That's it. Crazy. I cut resources of retreat. I'm going to actually use that. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Was, With one semester really... to go, you just... Yeah. And look, it, I got a lot of pressure and flack from my yeah. parents and my friends. Like, what in the world are you doing? And I'm like, this. I'm doing the exact opposite of what's expected. 
Right, right. That's crazy. And the first company that John actually founded was a company called Root Level. And then and Root Level was like a, a software company that essentially built, was the platform for, for building GM and Ford. Yeah, GM.com and Ford.com. And, you know, it, part of the cool thing was doing a technology startup in Detroit. Yeah. We were like the only technology startup in Detroit. So that was a nice competitive advantage to then win some major contracts. So when you think about doing your first startup and you're in your early 20s, getting contracts, like a $6 million contract from General Motors to build their website, yeah. like that's just not common. Like, right, right, you're like, whoa. It, it, you know, I think a lot of startup businesses are about the right timing. There's almost always some kind of new industry forming, some kind of new disruption had occurred, and that disruption creates opportunities for all sorts of startups to jump in. And so the internet was just starting out. I've always been very nerdy, so I knew how to write websites and HTML and code the back end and databases. And those actually were kind of rare traits way back then. I think that was 97, 96. And... Um, and so I was like, okay, I think that that's a unique enough value proposition to kind of go start a business around. And I had no startup capital at all. Hmm. And so that business was a professional services business, which you can do without any startup capital. Right. Because all you're really doing is you're raising your hand saying, I can do sort of hourly rate work for you. Yeah. But you charge a high hourly rate because it's right. really skilled uh, stuff that you're doing. And you know there's going to be a demand for it yeah. out there. And I don't know who the clients would be. But I figured it was enough of a combination to go do it. And uh, I ended up with some smaller clients initially, but it definitely started to work. And I started to get sort of enough cash flow to maybe hire a person and then two and then three. And then was just was able to grow it from there. And it really did turn out to be great timing. Do you remember how you got your first client? Was it word of mouth? Absolutely, I remember how I got my <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because that's one of the hardest things. Okay, yeah. so I was working a job to kind of help pay for school as I was at that tail end, yeah. and they had Ford as a customer for a very narrow project for one department. And I was working on the project at, the, at that company, yeah. and I, I gave them my resignation letter and I wrote a really long, inspiring resignation letter because I didn't want to leave on bad terms. How long? Uh, probably three pages, okay. but like right. it, but, I mean, it was, was it was started out when, uh, when I was a boy. Right, right. Like <laughs> what resignation letter starts out when I was a boy? But I tried to help them understand that like I've been wanting to start a business my entire life. The time is right right now. This is why I'm leaving. Not anything that has to do with. Yeah. Anything other than that. Yeah. And um, I, I think it turned out to be a pretty inspiring letter for all of them. And I also then said, but look, I don't want to leave you hanging on this project. I would take it on as contract work as my first yeah. job. Just all of the aspects of starting a business are crazy complicated while you're still then trying to get the project complete to get the job done. Yeah. Um, it, it is taken on a lot, but you know, you're young, you're full of energy. You don't even need to really eat that much. You just drink lots of Diet Coke and drink lots of coffee. Yeah, oh God, I think at the time I was only eating like Taco Bell burritos because they were like $1.32 or something. Oh, you remember the exact number. And it was the cheapest, most filling meal you could have. 
Um, because again, no startup capital. And I will say the most important thing was when I was at University of Michigan, I had gotten three credit cards while on campus because they would just hand credit cards out to you. They'd MasterCard would sit up a booth in the Diag. So I got three credit cards and the, the, the limit was maybe three grand on one, two grand on another, and maybe like 1,500 on the other. And, and that was my startup capital. I remember buying like the furniture for the office and the computer, the maxing out those credit cards, That's but great. then being able to kind of pay them back maybe over the next year. You know, pay them back as quickly as you can. You're getting 22% interest rate on those. I mean, that's horrible, but. But I'm just curious though, didn't you, that was like a huge risk. It's super scary, yeah. How'd that feel? That was super scary. But you're like, whatever, let's just go for it. Again, it's just throwing yourself into the volcano. Like, just do it. Grit your teeth and dive in because you guys, life is short. Like, just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? Declaring bankruptcy? I mean, that's not great, but. But I think if you just really try to be strategic and thoughtful about it, like, do it. Take the risk. Life is short. I'm dying to ask you this, John. I, I actually have two questions. So the first one is, you know, growing up, did you have any insecurities or self-doubt? Um, and I guess the second one is, did you have any naysayers while you were trying to get your, you know, your business up and running? Oh boy, um, I think everybody has insecurities. Uh, we're, we're, we're just lowly humans yeah. made of 98% water. Uh, we, we're, we're complicated organic beasts. So we have all sorts of emotions and complexities. Um, and I think you gotta just rise above it. Um, you know, I think it, I, when I look back, there was a lot of pressure from like my family or parents or just community and friends. Like, what are you doing? You you should just go get a job at Ford Motor Company and retire after 30 years. Like, what? that's never gonna work what you're doing. Like businesses, 94% of businesses fail. What are you doing? So that's hard to overcome. So if you were to go back, right? If you were to go back and give some advice to your 19, 20, 21 year old self, knowing what you know now with the wisdom, what would you tell yourself if you could go back, go back in time? Be even more confident in your abilities. Yep, be even more confident, which would lead to go raise money. So I think that raising money when you're trying to manifest a vision, especially if you know you're capable of manifesting the vision, money is oxygen to achieve the vision. And people are willing to rally around you if you're capable and if they believe in the vision too. And so you have to kind of open yourself up to that type of, um, I guess you could call it risk, but you're really almost getting more of your community then to help elevate and, and manifest your vision. Uh, and early on, if you're a little concerned or a little worried about your confidence to pull it off, you're maybe more apt to be like, oh, I'm not going to take other money because if it fails, I don't want to have to look them in the face. Which, by the way, I think is a really yeah. good like moral ethic. Yeah. Uh, but if you really are capable of it, go for it. Because life is short. It takes years to manifest a vision. But you might as well be able to manifest it in a, with a way bigger arsenal of weaponry uh, at your disposal. And that's what raising capital does for you. You once mentioned that the secret to success is basically waiting out, like having problems take years to solve and not to get distracted by the next shiny thing. Very early in my entrepreneurial career, I would meet other entrepreneurs 
because we're drawn to each other. We run into each other at events. And I saw an epidemic of people who love to start, which is a requirement to be an entrepreneur, but then they would want to just keep starting stuff. And they would never give the one idea time to manifest. And it was like, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot. And I, I coined this phrase, I started using the curse of the entrepreneur. Because it takes somebody who's willing to start um, and sort of create something from nothing. But then they, if they keep doing that, they're just doing themselves a disservice. And it's really sad when you see it. So, so how do you know to keep pushing through and you know, not move on to the next thing, I guess? It is a hard balance. It is a fine line because like you might have picked a, what you thought was a great idea. You're willing to commit to it, but yeah. it really isn't a great idea. It's never going to have a revenue model. It's never going to have product market fit. It's never going to scale. There are reasons why things end up being bad ideas. Yeah. Um, that's hard. You have to know when to keep going and then when to finally throw it in. Um, but I think that if anything, it's always more than a year to two to three to get an idea manifested. Yeah. So like give it at least three years, but commit to it too. I think that's the promise. People aren't willing to commit. You gotta commit to stuff. Like yeah. fully commit, you mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's sort of back to your earlier point. Commitment is a decision. And the Latin root of uh, the word decision is, is scission, which means to cut. And so the word decision isn't that you're choosing to go this way. It's that you're actually choosing to cut off other options. Wow, that's powerful. That is really That cool. is powerful. Decision. That's yeah. the root word, decision. Yeah. So decision is cutting off other options. Ah, that That's makes crazy. sense. Wow. Like deciding to not graduate school because you're going to commit to having <laughs> no so resume ballsy. your entire career. That is so ballsy, though. <laughs> I love it. It is scary as hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can always go back. Yeah, exactly. You can be the old guy <laughs> on campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at this point in his life, John has started multiple successful businesses and at the time of this podcast has raised over $90 million for Zipwhip. We were really curious about his thought processes when it comes to selecting business partners, dealing with personal emotional challenges and what he does to keep himself motivated after being so successful. On the topic of finding a partner, you mentioned that you know it might happen naturally or you know you might have to go and find them right what are some i guess like tips or do you look for like a partner that's got the strengths to your weaknesses or what is it that you should focus on mm. to find yeah. you know what i mean you really should treat it kind of like an interview in your own head like is this going to work out um my first startup i did do with my best friend and he was my best friend yeah. and it did not work out and that was really an awful experience and when I look back now, I really had sort of the entrepreneurial desire. And I, I think that he got excited by the whole idea too, but it wasn't maybe really in his heart that that's what he wanted to do. And so then after all the brutality of doing a startup, that type of stuff can cannot end up super great. So I think you should watch out for that. Like don't make the mistake I made because it, it can really wear and tear on you. Um, Make sure that they're really ready to do it. Challenge them, too, on whether they're ready for the commitment. Tell them, look, it's a 10-year commitment and see what they say. Did you ever go any, through any like personal, uh, personally challenging times emotionally? And how did that affect your you know, work and, and how did you overcome that? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, part, 
part of that is the you know story about doing it with my best friend, and it's you know it's still kind of sad to look back on it, uh, how hard that was. Um, but I think you like going through um, you know your relationships and the the pressure that's put on those because you're you're so dedicated to what you're doing with starting the business. It does create pressure, so you try and balance that out. Um, and of course, it's still very stressful. So you're almost always in a stressed situation, kind of clinching your yeah. your jaw. And then you think about how that kind of pans out at home or with friends. So that's pretty hard. Um, like I saw a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, you know, start turning to alcohol, you know, to just kind of like deal with the stress. And I'm like, nah, it's not a good way to deal with it. I guess I'm asking, like, how did you get, how did you overcome those challenges personally? Like, what, what, what was your mindset? How, what were, what were some things that you did to like keep you on track? I suppose what I would always come back to is, uh, look, good stuff requires hard work. Just stay focused on it and keep doing the right thing. Um, I think always actually trying to do the right thing was important. Um, so you almost then are going back to kind of like the morals and ethics that you're raised with. And and then you kind of just believe that that'll work out correctly. And so maybe there's an element of a faith to that. Um, and I actually still totally believe in that. I think it's always, just always keep making the right decision and it's gonna end up okay. And I do remember waking up one day and looking at the bank account of my first startup and how large the number was and thinking, oh my God, it works. This actually works. That's crazy. So John, you've obviously achieved a lot of success in your career and, you know, your life. But I'm just curious, you know, what is it that keeps you motivated to keep achieving more and more? Ooh, being on my deathbed and looking back on my life and That's wanting powerful. to make sure that I went all out. Wow. Now, there's a little bit of a... Just think about that. That's crazy. There's a little bit of a darkness to that viewpoint, which is that your whole life, you're focused on your deathbed, your death. Uh, so that part is always a little, um, to me, even a little odd that that's my viewpoint, but it is. And I just want to make sure that uh, I'm really happy with all the decisions I made. Uh, and here's the other thing about that. Taking risk is super hard and super scary. Yeah. But when you're on your deathbed, you will not care how much risk you took because you are ready to die. And none of that risk will, will matter. Regret would just be really sad to, yeah. to be looking back and thinking, man, I had this chance of this small little window on this small little planet in the big, huge universe. And what did I do with it? So we want to switch gears just a little bit. We want to play a quick uh, rapid fire game. In your opinion, what is the most important life skill? What is the most important life skill? Oh God, uh, what is the first thing? <laughs> Come on, John. Give me a couple of seconds. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I want to say focus, but I've already said that so many yeah, times yeah. this interview. Um, tenacity. Great team and lousy strategy or great strategy and a mediocre team? Maybe neither because really? culture eats strategy for breakfast. Ooh. Worst, worst business advice you've ever received? 
Worst business advice I ever received was you shouldn't go raise money. Somebody, Somebody said that to you? That? Yeah. What? Okay. <laughs> One advice you would give 21-year-old John. Be even more confident in your abilities. Text message or call? Text message, hello. Duh. There you go. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to the podcast, whether you're on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts, and please leave a review so we can gather your feedback. Until next time, take care and dream big.